All right. Hello, and welcome to a special Rogue Pod edition of the Collier Pod. I'm your host, uh, owner of the, as of about 45 minutes ago, second place Leonine Faces, uh, Brian Emmer. And with me tonight are my co-hosts and co-competitors for this season's championship race, Mike McIntosh, owner of the third place Hackamax, and Adam Wieg, owner of the first place Bliff Fiddles. Have you guys seen the feature on Yahoo where you can look at single uh, season records, or, or single day records, excuse me? No. Mm-mm. Um, so I forget exactly where it is, but on the league front page, you can find a tab here. Uh, it says record book at the top and you can go through and you can see over the course of this season on any, for any single day, what's the, the record among all teams for points scored or threes or boards or blocks or whatever. Uh, and it also has historical data going back to, uh, what was it? 2011. Uh, so you can see over the last 10 years of UAFBL, what's the single best, uh, night that anyone's had for any category, which is kind of fun. This is amazing. <laughs> it is. So I'm threatening threes right now. It depends on how stuff does over the last, uh, last quarter and a half here, but I think well, I need one three to tie. Uh, what am I at right now? You're at 32, and the single-day all-time record was by Gabe in December of 33. Right, yeah. But for tonight, I think I'm at – so the 32 was a week or so ago, and then tonight I'm at 30. So I've got uh, another oh, quarter out okay. of Sturry and Blazemore to try to set the record. Sounds possible. Like, yeah, you might overtake Weeg uh, in threes. Maybe, yeah, tighten it up a little. Yeah, let's hope not. I, I kind of need that one. All right. So should I uh, take Emmer's team, the faces here? Um, so you, I, I'd say, Emmer, you went into the draft with the probably the best keepers. So you had Luca, one year left at $39, and you had Bam uh, with two years left, so $44 this year. So I feel like you went in really strong position. And then ahead of the draft, you bought Booker from Tim for $4. So I'd be curious, what kind of, what went into your head in terms of buying Booker, you know, for, for the $95 keeper price? Yeah, it was just wanting to lock in some kind of roster certainty and looking at Bam and Luca, uh, I felt like one of my deficiencies was free throw percentage. And so I wanted one of the stud free throw guys. But I didn't want to pay $150 for Dame, uh, and I didn't want someone that was on the wrong side of 33 years old. Uh, I wanted someone that was younger and had some upside still. Uh, so I felt like there weren't a ton of options there, and I felt like Booker was a guy that I trusted. And he had been getting – he's still 24 years old and had been getting better for each of the previous three years. So I felt like he was the guy that I wanted, and I felt like I was overpaying um, but I felt like he still had upside too, and that, you know, he could take another leap and that he could potentially be a chip. So, you know, one decision that was pretty clearly wrong in retrospect was that I extended him for two years. And I had hoped that he might reach that kind of next tier of being a clear kind of first round guy and that I might be able to then flip him in the arms race. Um, so it was kind of that combination of categorical needs and age, really. Yeah. No, I mean, I was in on him too, a little bit or poked around. 
I would have kept them for one year just to kind of, because I thought $95 is a pretty good deal. And you know, like you said, we kind of had an anchor for the team. So then beyond those three guys, and did you have Bagley too? Did you throw him back in? So Bagley, I got out of his contract because of the injury clause. He had missed so many games the previous year. Mm-hmm. I actually wasn't like that enthusiastic about throwing him back. I liked him when he played, um, but I wanted the flexibility and uh, it, it was pretty clear that he wasn't going to go for more than 33. So if I really wanted him, I was better off redrafting him than keeping him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then you went in with $413 and three slots. So, you know, not a ton of money, but a little bit above average. Uh, and then looking at, your draft, I mean, I thought you had a really good draft overall, especially kind of the, the big ticket guy. So Jamal Murray, that was your topper at $72. I think especially after his performance in the bubble, like that was reasonable. I thought he could have gone for you know, $20 more than that easily. Uh, and that was a really good pick. And then like Jared Allen, obviously $12 turned out to be fantastic. And you, you know, used him very well, which we'll get to in a minute um, in the arms race and flipping him. Boucher, same thing, $18, and you were able to get a lot for him in the arms race. So I felt like those were all really good picks. I mean, I guess if we had to quibble in retrospect, Booker, you know, $95. Like I said, I would have done that too. But, you know, I I think he's down this year in free throw percentage and free throw attempts and and down a little bit in assists, whether because of CP3 or otherwise. So I don't think it was a ridiculous overpay, but maybe, you know, a little bit higher than maybe he, he might be worth this year. And then I think the other two that kind of jump out are, you know, Hassan Whiteside at $32. Obviously didn't quite live up to that amount of money. And then Hero at $42, which is funny because I think Emmer, you and I were going back and forth. I'm not sure anybody else went at above like 25 for him. And I think <laughs> you're going back and forth and you, you got, I think I had beaten you earlier for somebody. I, there were three or four guys. Jalen Brown. The auction. Yeah, Jalen Brown. That's right. I think yeah. there were a few guys you and I were in on and then. Yeah, I just couldn't go above. I think it was toward the end of the auction. I didn't have that much money left. So, you know, instead I wisely put $22 into Poku instead of, you know, going a couple dollars higher on, on Hero. But, you know, I was excited about him going into this year. And I know you dealt him, but, you know, $42 maybe a little high. But, you know, again, if we're quibbling with Whiteside at 32 and Hero at 42 is maybe your worst draft picks. You obviously had a good draft. You know, what's your reaction kind of in retrospect to your draft? Let me interrupt. I, at, both of those were killers to me because number one, I tried to be cute and keep hero and that blew up in my face, which was lame, you know, I, and then I was dying to have, at that point in the draft, I was dying to have a big. And when Whiteside only went for 32 bucks or whatever, I remember just feeling like my heart sank because I was screwed. I didn't have anybody. And here's Emmer was, there was somebody else too. I can't remember who another sort of just, Blocks big went on the cheap. Oh, it was Capella. He was the other mm-hmm. one, right? Books was it Books drafted Capella for fairly cheap? Yeah, wasn't he like fifty or something? Yeah, yeah fifty four. Yeah, that killed me too. So I mean, at the time, I, I loved Whiteside. I would have loved him for that, but I think I screwed up and spent all my money and didn't have it. And yeah, it, it sucks. So my yeah. view, both those hurt. <laughs> Yeah, and we hero you had his rights at fourteen, right? And then you used your or you you uh dedicated your topper to him. You didn't exercise it when he went at forty two. That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah. Because I just it, it was that weirdness where like who did uh oh yeah, was it 
I'm trying to remember. It wasn't Grace Nell. It was Dante DiVincenzo went for a billion dollars. And they, there were, that was a weird point of the draft where everybody had leftover money because we screwed up. Probably distracted by the, the Pearl Jam. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was weird. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what happened. Hero got called at a time where I just had way too much money left. I really screwed up the earlier rounds of the draft. And uh, I think I was trying to achieve what Mike was much more successful uh, in achieving and trying to build a lot of depth. I think, uh, Mike, you also mentioned overcorrecting from the mistakes of the previous year. And I think the previous year I had a really solid top five or six guys and I just didn't have depth and I ended up playing a lot of garbage players. And I think, you know, in years past before we were at 15 teams and the waiver wire was a little bit better, that wasn't a bad strategy. You could surf the waiver wire and pick up some starters or at least some serviceable guys. And I just really struggled the previous year. So I went in this year wanting to have a roster that was, you know, 10 deep of pretty solid guys. And, you know, ideally even more thinking that there might be uh, you know, some craziness with COVID and guys missing games. Um, so that was sort of the thinking, but I just didn't execute it well. Uh, ironically enough, Whiteside was probably the one pick that I was most excited about and I would have said was, you know, most likely to be a keeper coming out of this draft and he just completely bombed. Um, but a lot of these other picks, you know, I think in retrospect, yeah, I just wasted a lot of money kind of sprinkling it around and Josh Richardson for 18 and Seth Curry for 18. Lou Williams for six. Um, you know, those guys didn't pan out, but I guess the flip side of that is that in that same price range, I got Jared Allen for 12 and Boucher for 18. And, you know, they ended up obviously working out for me. So it was a mixed bag. Uh, but I think, you know, the biggest regret probably is just waiting too long and ending up overpaying for some guys towards the end. Yeah, no, definitely. But I th- you had such a, you know, pretty big margin for error because your keepers were so good. So I felt like for, you know, where some teams that might be fatal, like for you, you were able to kind of bounce back pretty easily. When you put your, you know, decided that Murray would be your top read, do you think you'd get him for 72 or do you think you would go higher than that? Just given, you know, kind of the buzz uh, after his performance in the bubble. Yeah, I, you know, he was another one of those guys that kind of fit the profile of what I was looking for. He was, you know, 25 years old. He was efficient, like Booker was. He was a high 80s free throw shooter and 48, 49% from the field. I also had been coveting him for a long time. Uh, I think, you know, the last time I was in a race with Beer, he was on Beer's team and he was towards the top two. And I feel like every time I checked Beer's box score, Murray was like 13 for 17 from the field or something ridiculous. <laughs> Um, and he's one of those guys, I can't remember if he was newly single, but I feel like I hadn't had the opportunity to bet on him. So I just really kind of fell in love with him, especially after watching him in the playoffs last year and felt like he had a lot of room to kind of reach the next tier, which I, I don't think he did. Uh, but I, I think I probably expected that he would go for about 80 bucks or 85 bucks. And I think in an open auction, I would have gone to a hundred or 105 bucks on him. And so mm-hmm. he's a good guy to use my topper on. Uh, just in case there was one other manager who was kind of similarly enamored with him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, he was somebody, I feel like Emory, you and I, I mean, you just gave out the profile of people you were looking for, which was pretty similar to mine, although I was a little bit more tolerant of the, the older guys, I guess. But, you know, it, it explains, I think, why you and I were kind of going head to head for some of these guys. 
So, yeah, that, so Jamal Murray then serves as a good segue when he was, I guess it was April 13th, I think, before MRU had made any deals. He goes down with the season-ending ACL injury. And then I would say I thought at that point, given your position, even though you had a strong team and that you had, you know, Bam and, and Allen as potential keepers and you could kind of regroup and come back strong next year, I figured you might be a seller. But obviously you decided differently. Was there any you know, point in time after the injury where you thought seriously about selling or were you kind of all in for this year? I thought about it. Uh, and I think a lot of this is sequencing. I think if my team, you know, my team started terribly and then I had a surge in the middle of the season where I was climbing pretty rapidly. And so I felt like I had some momentum going into it when Murray was hurt. And I think if that happened the other way around, if I had been really good for the first two months of the year and then I was terrible for two years and then or for two months and then Murray was uh, injured, I think I might have been more inclined to sell. But I think that sense of momentum probably kept me in it. I think also Luca being on the last year of this contract and feeling like, you know, I was going to miss his window uh, or the window that I had for a cheap deal. I think that played into it. Um, but a bigger part probably just, you know, the overall sense that winning a championship in UIFBL is really hard. And there's a lot of uncertainty at the end of the season. And as good as both of your teams looked, you know, a lot can happen in silly season and with injuries or just guys resting or guys underperforming. I felt like I had a chance and, uh, you know, I was kind of pot committed, uh, and so I decided just to go for it. But I did think about selling, uh, mm-hmm. at one point to Weeg specifically to, to run it back with Durant and then to have Bam, mm-hmm. Boucher and Jared Allen. Yeah. I mean, I must say I was happy to see you, you know, go for it both because I think it makes things more interesting, but also because I knew Weeg had so many more assets than me and I knew he would just clean up if, you know, he and I were kind of the only people going for it. So I was yeah. glad to see a third team enter the fray. So after, so two, I guess two or three days after, you know, um, that injury, when I think the rest of the league was wondering what you would do, you made two deals. I think they were executed within a minute of each other. So the first, you sold maybe, you know, one of your two best keepers, Bam, uh, along with Delon to height for Davis Bertans, who I think, did he have any years left on his contract? Yeah, I'm on the hook. He's uh, owed $24, so he'll be a buyback next year. Okay, so Bertans and then, you know, Steph, who's been incredible. And, I mean, I think that that deal is a, a clear win because, I mean, just getting Steph for, you know, Bam, basically, it was, I think was was an incredible haul. And and I think I was surprised in, in your league. I think you were, too, maybe, that, yeah. you know, Height, who was in that relegation bubble, you know, was willing to give up Steph at that point. And I was looking at Steph as uh, a, the kind of keeper that would be nice to have next year. So mm-hmm. I was there's no way anybody and then after you know looking at it a little bit in retrospect after it happened because I was blindsided by it for sure it seems like categorically it kind of made sense is that right Emmer for height from height's perspective like it was okay right, to deal them. right. I mean height was up by a billion in threes uh mm-hmm. and so that part of stuff he you know could afford to give up and I think you know when I was trying to pitch him on the offer one of the points that I made was that Bam actually helped in more categories, uh, than Steph did for his, for his team, especially. Uh, you know, I think, you know, just counting up the number of categories, even including threes, Bam was better, you know, more across the board. Uh, but then when you consider the fact that Steph's threes didn't really help height, I don't know if that factored into his decision making at all. I think it was more that he just wanted Bam as a keeper. But yeah, I think there were some categorical implications there. 
Uh, and Steph, you know, is one of those guys that I've just coveted for a long time. I talked about that with Murray too. There was a time in UAFBL when I used to pour over spreadsheets more and make more of a kind of calculated decision. Uh, this was more kind of emotional that I just really wanted to have Steph, uh, and I felt like he did do a lot of things that I needed. Um, he's gone supernova for me, so it's been really fun. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, that's been one of the best, if not the best, I think, you know, arms race deals. And then one minute after that, the trade was executed where you sent Jared Allen was the centerpiece and then Whiteside and Tybal, uh, along with $13 in a slot to books, took back Cousins contract, which I guess is two years at 20 and 30. Is that right, Emmer? Right, yeah. And then you got Kyrie, Capella, and DeRozan. So, I mean, again, I think that was a great deal and got, I mean, three great players. So, I mean, you must have been happy with how that's turned out as well. Yeah, I had been uh, trying to make deals for a long time. I think, you know, the big mistake that I made was waiting too long, but it wasn't for a lack of trying. Uh, and so, you know, what happened, the Jamal situation actually kind of forced my hand a little bit where I had to, uh, be more definitive that I needed to make a deal soon. So I think, you know, both of these managers were not eager to make a deal. Uh, I think height for relegation risk and, you know, books was kind of hanging around towards the top. Uh, but when Jamal was hurt, I felt like I needed to do something. And even if it wasn't my first choice, I was ready to move on and do different deals. So th- th- what happened with both of these deals on that day is I reached terms with other managers or got formal offers for two competing deals and so for the Steph deal, I had an arrangement with Glassby, or I had a formal offer from Glassby for Dane, Dane uh, for Bam. And so uh, I told him that I was going to probably take that, but that I wanted to chuck on Steph one more time. And then for the other one, the depth deal of uh, the one with books for Kyrie, Capella, and DeRozan, I had a formal offer from Lusky that I thought we were going to do that included Lonzo, JV, uh, and then MB, uh, or M, I, I believe that's right. And so, you know, I had both of those ready to go and I told both of these managers who ended up taking the deal, you know, I'll give you until the game start tonight, 15 minutes before at 645. And if you don't want these deals, then I'll, I'll take the other ones. And both of them between like 630 and 645 decided that they would do it. Uh, and so I was sitting at the dinner table with my family on Slack, uh, finalizing. <laughs> Uh, but I, I went into that, you know, evening fully prepared that I was going to have two completely separate deals than the ones that I ended up taking. And I think that, you know, th- in a way, the Murray deal made it so that I had to kind of commit to something else. And then once I committed to something else, it led to these deals uh, kind of reaching the finish line. Yeah. No, I mean, I, like I said, at that point, I figured you might be selling. And then in my, I checked my email and see these two huge trades. And uh, I was really impressed that that you got that kind of a haul for, for Bam and Allen. So that was you know, really well done. And I think it's put you in the position that you're in now. Um, we're climbing up the standings and, you know, hopefully can catch the unstoppable Adam Week. <laughs> no, no chance. This is jinx number two. Right. I, I hear. I'm writing these down. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then let's see the, the third trade, Emory, you made, which I really liked at the time. Unfortunately, kind of the injuries have uh, taken the, I guess the luster off this deal was you got Sabonis from Peskin. For I guess nine dollars and then Josh Richardson. So what was your you know thinking when you went for him? Yeah, I mentioned earlier the formal offer I made to Lusky for Valanciunas, uh, and basically I made the same offer to both Lusky for Valanciunas and Peskin for Sabonis. 
Uh, and I needed boards. You know, one of the challenges with having my three chips all being centers was that I had to replace what they did. Uh, and so losing Bam and Boucher and Jared Allen, I had like no center eligible players left. Uh, so I needed to get one of those guys and I needed to make a run in boards. Uh, and so I would have been happy to get either one. The funny thing for me with Sabonis is that as we were finishing that negotiation and, you know, about to uh, put the formal offer through, I asked Peskin, you know, does he have any aching joints, any injury concerns? And this was at like 1130 in the morning. And he's like, no, he's, you know, great. Set it and forget it. Uh, you know, no, no player notes about anything. He hadn't missed a single game. And then it wasn't like that night he played a game and he got injured. It was like at 11.45 a.m., like 20 minutes after we finalized it, there was a Yahoo alert that he had a sore back, and then he ended up missing like five games after that. Um, and I know that happens to everyone, but that was just particularly frustrating. Yeah, I mean, Peston got the injury luck with the trades. I mean, he gives me Harden, and I think like yeah. two games later, you know, he's got this hamstring strain that now turns into this serious issue, and same with Sabonis. So he, he knew – he had good intuition when to sell these guys, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then your last deal here was with Gabe. Or you traded Hero in a slot for Bogdan, the good Bogdanovich. Um, and I like that deal. I was, when I was negotiating with Gabe, that was kind of my initial offers. I wanted JC and Bogdanovich and we ended up setting on, settling on Brolo, but especially with Trey out at that point and, you know, didn't know how long he'd be out with his sprained ankle. You know, I, I I thought that was a great deal because Bogdanovich was, has been going crazy the last six or eight weeks or so. Yeah, he's been insane. Uh, and he, I hadn't really been paying that much attention to it, to him. Gabe brought him to my attention and I looked at his game log and he seemed to have a hot hand. And, uh, I can't say that there was a, a real plan there, but I kind of stumbled into that one and it's been great. Um, there was one other deal in between. It's probably not on the trade log, uh, cause I, there wasn't cash or slots involved, but I had the, Giannis deal too with Chris. Mm-hmm. I sent, sent my third keeper, Chris Boucher, uh, to Scorps for Giannis and the anthropomorphic brick, Devontae Graham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you're, that's right. And you're, I mean, who you got and through all these trades is pretty amazing. I mean, I, I think looking at your, you know, roster construction, I feel like it was your keepers and your trades that really made your team and you had a good draft, but I, I just feel like those were, you know, really the strong points and why you're in contention now. But I'll ask you the same question. You know, you asked me, do you have any regrets from, you know, trade season? Anybody you kind of had targeted and wish you would have gotten or, you know, any alternatives you wish you had pursued? Yeah, I mean, I think the regrets that I had ended up working out for the best. You know, like I think the one deal that kind of hurt the most was when I saw that Harden went to you instead. And like I said, I dodged a bullet there. Um, you know, there's some other smaller deals. Like I wish I would have been more aggressive for Lonzo. I think he would have been perfect for me and a lot of fun to have on the team too. Um, but otherwise I'm pretty happy with all, how it all went. I think, you know, obviously the timing is, is the big limiting thing for me. You know, I'm only going to get, I think I ended up with a very good team. I'm happy with the guys that I got, but when you only get 10 to 15 games out of each of these guys, in comparison to we getting cat back in January, I mean, just can't compare. So, you know, if, if I had to do it all over again, I think that would be the, the one change is that I would be a lot more aggressive. And instead of, 
looking for the best deal. I think I just would have taken a deal early on. I think, you know, part of that was I felt like I had to really nail like the best possible package that I could get in return because I felt like I was coming from behind and we was and you had a really strong team. So I probably let perfect be the enemy of good uh, and I should have probably taken something sooner. Yeah, no, I mean, I, but I thought overall, I mean, of the three of us who did the best with your trades. Yeah, yep. I feel the same way about timing, but I, I think you, you know, played your hand as well as you could have, so it was a really great job.